welcome to the Unfiltered Recovery Podcast with Michael Mazel, where we dive into the world of recovery. There is no one way, one filtered way to live out your best future in recovery. It is unfiltered. It is expansive. This is your invitation to take away the filter so we can push your limits of exploration for recovery. We will offer tips, tricks, tools, thought-provoking questions, and motivation to live out your best future unfiltered. I'm ready, but the question is, are you ready? Let's do this. All right, all right, all right. We are here today, episode 16. Can you believe it's 16 episodes into this Unfiltered Recovery podcast? And today, I got to tell you guys, today is actually like a really special episode because normally I'm with my guests over Zoom because everybody lives all over the place. Today, I am with the LB in person. We are sitting right next to each other. It could get crazy. There is a reason why this is called Unfiltered for the very episode that is about to go down. So LB, tell the world who you are. Say what is good. (laughs) What is good? (laughs) I'm LB Burkhalter and I am a woman in long-term recovery and I work for a treatment provider in Colorado called Red Rock Recovery Center where I'm the alumni and community relations manager, um, as well as run and operate my own women's sober living program in Northern Colorado called Recovered Humans. Dude. Yes. You guys, LB, if you could call anybody a badass in recovery, especially a woman, it is LB. She manages and runs the alumni program at Red Rock Recovery. She also has founded a sober living entity for women in Northern Colorado. She is the perfect person to talk about what we are going to be talking about on this episode. So LB, we're going to get right into it. You know, I'm passionate about talking about recovery and making sure people feel comfortable talking about their decision to get sober. Where I struggle and I feel the world struggles is still getting into acceptance of people sharing that they are in recovery at their workplace or just with their personal family members, anybody in general. And it's interesting that there is this stigma that we are trying to get rid of, right? So many people are like, let's break the stigma of addiction. Yet there are so many people that are still so afraid of people that are in recovery or have this feeling about it. And people still don't feel safe in their place of work at home around their friends when they get sober. I want to know your thoughts on that. That's like a big hefty (laughs) chunk of information. But I think if we were to break it down and start to look at it, A, in most of the people that are wanting to shatter the stigma around substance use disorder and mental health, either in recovery themselves or have loved ones in recovery. So like that's a whole piece that we could digest in and of itself. As far as employers, I deal with some of this stuff so often, employers of alumni or people use me as a reference when they're applying for jobs and 
women that graduated from treatment programs successfully and have graduated from sober living successfully and work with a sponsor and are doing the deal, yet they don't want to mention it to anyone in their life that's not personally in recovery for fear of retaliation. So we're really going to have to start, I think, with maybe even it's that, you know, conversations in treatment with patients, clients, whatever have to happen to talk about these things before they're out of programming. The realities of people's fear and where that fear comes from with working with and talking to people in recovery, communication and education about what people in recovery actually look like. There's that meme that goes around about, I know you and I have made jokes about it, where people talk about like what they think alcoholism looks like. And everybody thinks that it's a houseless individual with a brown paper bag of beer from the corner store. And what we get to see every day, not only in treatment, but out in the real world and in sober living is that it might be a mom who has her wine in a Yeti cup that got a DUI picking up her kids from soccer practice. Yeah. And I've used that exact analogy with owners of houses that I wanted to rent to put sober livings in. And it always like blows their mind when I say that, because they're like, oh, you're absolutely right. And it doesn't change all of their internal beliefs right then, because let's be honest, I mean, for a very long time, quote unquote, drug addicts or alcoholics have very much had this image associated with them. And it just goes back so far when people have in their mind what that looks like. And it's very hard for them to wrap their mind around the fact that that individual could potentially look like a productive member of society and still be struggling. Ah, you nailed it. And I love that you said that it's not just a trust thing, but So many people that are supportive of people talking about it are people that are in the business world that are in recovery. I have never had a problem talking about being in recovery when I know that my boss or I work for a treatment center, you know, that is supportive of it. Where do you think the movement can happen or to those individuals or to those companies, to the employers that have no experience with it, right? Like you mentioned education. I was like, oh my God, you mentioned education. What are some steps that you believe society as a whole, people that aren't in recovery from the disease of drug and alcohol addiction, what are things that you think would be major game changers for employers to have a better understanding of honestly, what people look like in recovery and to not have that fear around, oh my God, you're in recovery. You're going to steal my shit. You're going to rob me. You're going to take me for everything that I am. There's no way I'm going to hire you. Or now that I know that that you're in recovery and you've worked for me for three years, I'm definitely going to let you go. (laughs) Or watch your every move. Yes. I mean, it's, yeah, you'll hear those things. I, I hear it from people. I experienced it. But before I worked in the treatment world in recovery, I worked for a giant corporation, a cosmetics corporation. And all it took was one simple, honest conversation with my district manager. And I was terrified at first to tell anyone that I was actually living in sober living and still going to outpatient treatment. So I got a little bit of practice with like turning down people asking me to go have drinks after work. It was like, okay, well, I would just say something else or like, oh, I was busy or whatever. And then I started saying, well, actually I'm in recovery and I don't mind that you drink. That doesn't bother me, but I just have other things I need to go do. And then that conversation grew into 
talking to like other local managers that had questions because like they had heard it. And so it starts to spread. And that was my opportunity to educate people on where I've come from, what recovery looks like and how I could be a resource for them. Because if somebody came and pulled me aside at work and wanted to have a conversation about, hey, I heard that you're sober and my mom has been drinking for 27 years and like, I don't even know where to begin with her. And it's because this person was affected by substance use and or mental health and they had never had someone to talk about it with, but were desperately looking for that. And so, of course, I'd never brought it up to other friends or family or anything because everything comes out of a place of fear. Mm -hmm. You know, like everybody's terrified of like how they'll be viewed. They're terrified of that they'll be associated. Like, oh, well, if people know that my parents an alcoholic, they're going to think that I have issues, whatever. And so all of those small conversations led to one big conversation with my district manager, which was sitting down and just sharing a little bit about my story. And how I could be a resource to our community of other stores, because we were seeing coworkers of other locations that were struggling. And it was like, okay, so how can we, as like the Colorado market of this giant corporation, support each other? I remember her saying, we have you as this resource. How can we utilize you? And I didn't even work in treatment yet. It was just, I had started to know so many resources and things. And that I think sitting there across the table from someone as an employee of that corporation, she looked at me as a valuable human being and not just someone in recovery. And so it took a lot of the fear away, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, I was able to speak her language. I was able to show her these things. And I became like a familiar, if you will, where it's like, okay, I trust you because I've watched you work for X amount of time and you're familiar to me. So I trust you. And those people that sought me out for resources in that time of my life still will do it to this day (sighs) because then you can get EAPs involved with where you work, or you can talk to your HR manager, or you can then have bigger conversations on a larger scale where you have people from the recovery rooms or from treatment centers or outreach coordinators or something like that, that can come in and educate you on what life and recovery actually looks like. Maybe give people the opportunity to ask questions. Yeah. Oh, you guys, if you aren't listening intently to this, you need to like put this on repeat and listen again to all of you out there. What LB is describing with her story is impactful and it's choosing to show up as a human being in your humanness of being like, Hey, this is what I went through. And instead of shaming these individuals for taking ownership of a part of them that is not healthy, encourage them and celebrate them as a resource. I'll be, since you chose to not hide and move the needle with this larger organization. What did that do for you in that instance, for you as a person in recovery, as regards to your confidence, to being even I'll say proud, but what did it do for you in that moment when you saw the acceptance and the love instead of the shame and the, we're not gonna deal with you anymore? I just got chills. Oh, yes, she did. I'm next to her. She's got goosebumps. I just got chills because I remember the exact moment and what it felt like. Because for the first time, and now I'm going to cry <laughs> for the cry. for the first time in 15 years coming out of active addiction, I felt seen, I felt valued, 
I felt like I was something other than a human with a drug addiction. And I remember the exact moment when I felt like I was useful and I had purpose and I had tapped into this power that was like, I have something to teach. I have something to educate people on. And I now have the resources to save people's lives. So if anything, you guys seek humans, they seek people in recovery to work for you. But really, I want to say, LB, when you felt safe in sharing this with this company and then for them to look at you as a resource, because again, people are always looking for, yes, we need internal motivators to stay sober, but sometimes those external motivators, like knowing what we could do for the place that we work, how did that help you even as an external motivator for you to be like, this is the right path that I'm on being in recovery because of this situation now? Well, it held me accountable in (gasps) so many ways because I wasn't holding this secret. And for people in recovery, we have this slogan that we say that's like secrets keep you sick, whether they're bad secrets, whether they're healthy secrets, it's just the fact that you're keeping something to yourself and that usually doesn't serve you. Mm -hmm. And so it was being in that gigantic environment that was, yes, it was work. Yes, it was employment and they were paying me to be there but I was still useful in more ways than one. And now all of these people knew my story and knew what I was showing up for. And I would have absolutely been checked on, held accountable, and people would notice if something was off with me. And that felt huge because it felt like I wasn't alone in a sea of quote unquote normies. Yeah. I think that is so important. And so to all of you out there, this is also a call to action, whether you are a business owner, you play a vital role in your organization, or you are an employee, be somebody that's approachable. Take that first step in being like, we welcome all paths of life. We celebrate people that take care of parts of them that are not healthy. Because when we celebrate people's humanness, we give people permission to feel that acceptance. And I feel like we live in a world where all any of us want is to feel accepted. Absolutely. And I feel like most people in recovery have felt that need for acceptance long before we ever struggled with substance use, long before we ever struggled with mental health or anything else that we're in recovery from. But also because we're such laid back human beings in recovery, oftentimes when you approach us with questions, we understand. Mm-hmm we can absolutely see why you might have fear around somebody being in recovery or somebody sharing the fact that they went to treatment or sharing the fact that they at one time struggled with a substance use disorder. And I can speak personally, I would never judge a question because I think they're all valid. And if it gives me the opportunity to educate that person on what my experience has been like, then I'm then putting out the ripple effect of if this person can now go speak to it in the same way that I spoke to them, then that just keeps spreading. LB, that was powerful. I got goosebumps now. The fact that you said you will never judge a question, the depth of that statement is huge. And that breaks down so many barriers, so many barriers, because I know all you normies that I like to call normies that don't have the, that are not in recovery like myself and LB. I know you got questions. I know. And I love that you said that LB. Like we have like questions, like you guys have questions. And I love that you said that you'll never judge a question because every single question is valid because when you ask questions, 
it creates that safety too. And for you to not feel weird, because we don't want anybody to feel weird. We want you to feel like it's again, it's that acceptance of being like, I don't know the answer. And if I have to ask a question, it's not a stupid one. No, definitely not. So LB, thank you for saying that. Just know that we would rather you ask than assume. And that's the last thing I want to talk about with this LB is that when people don't ask the question, they assume. And when we assume the worst, or we assume that people in recovery or that are working on parts of them, like if you assume the worst, you never know what you are denying yourself of with a relationship with somebody. And I also want to add to that. Speaking of like assuming if you are in a workplace, whether you're in a management role or not, and you do notice that someone is struggling with something that maybe you like can't put your finger on, but you know that you're pretty sure that it's probably a substance of some sort, ask, ask people in the recovery community, no matter where you are. You'll be able to find someone through local AA meetings, through local treatment centers, alumni coordinators of treatment centers. I guarantee there's a resource for you anywhere you are where you can get somebody on the phone and ask them, hey, how do I compassionately approach this person I work with and tell them that I'm concerned about them, offer them resources to help them get the help that they need, and to have a conversation with them where they're not going to feel threatened, cornered or judged. Yeah. And I know I would, I know Michael would, and I know I could say with certainty that anyone that I could think of right now that works in this industry or is a person in recovery in this particular Colorado community would absolutely sit down and tell you the next best steps. Yeah. This is why she's here. I hope you guys can get a lot out of this. And I hope that any of you that are listening to this, if you had any preconceived notions, if you felt judged or you didn't have answers, I hope that LB could provide you with some answers and that your shoulders could drop and relax a little bit because all this is, is human connection and choosing to connect instead of break away from each other. Like the world needs to connect. And when we choose to connect, That's where we create safety and we create a space for people to feel accepted. I'll just say that. LB, if there's one last thing you want to say to the audience about anything that we've talked about with your journey, with acceptance, with love, with connection, what would it be? That I want you guys to all walk away from here with like action items, you know, like think about everything that we've talked about just through this episode and just have some action items in place. So if this situation arises, or if you want to bring education to your workplace, or if you're worried about sharing your story or like what that can do for you and how it maybe could or could not empower you or impact you walk away from here with a few things to say to people with action items on how to bring education to your employers or how to share your story of coming back from treatment. Use this episode as kind of like a checklist of things Mm -hmm. you can do, whether you're in recovery and going back to work, whether you're in a management position, not in recovery, but you know that you have employees that are, or maybe you're just a coworker that recognizes that somebody's struggling. There's a lot of information in here that you can utilize to help somebody. And at the end of the day, we all want to be kind and a little bit of kindness and a little bit of communication goes a very long way, especially when it's saving someone's life. LB, you are a gift. 
Thank you so much for being here. If anybody wanted to reach out to you because they resonated with the information that you dropped like it's hot, how can they get a hold of you? You can absolutely find me via Instagram at lb.burkhalter. And that's B-U-R-K-H-A-L-T-E-R. So at lb.burkhalter. And I'll respond to direct messages all day long. Yeah, she will. Because she stays up late and I go to bed early. (laughs) But then you can catch one of us at any given time because Michael's up super, super early. I'm up like pretty early for going to bed as late as I do. But yeah, so there's one of us up at about 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. Yep. 365. Yep. All right, ladies and gents, that is what we got. Ah, what a beautiful episode. As we close this episode, if you or someone you know is struggling to find a path to recovery, you can take the first step toward living out your best future by calling Vertava Health at 877-404-2143. All right, you guys, we'll see you next week. 